Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today we're going to be looking at how we can get some help when we need it. Do you ever feel like you could use a little more inspiration, a little more um insight into how you can face the challenges of the day, the challenges before you. So we're going to be taking a look at the Hindu goddesses and what they can teach us, how they model divine qualities and can support us in understanding our Dharma. So we're going to be looking through the lens of yoga as we always do. What is this um, insight tell us about how we can be restored to our wholeness, how we can uh, draw from our innate wisdom? And so we have a beautiful conversation ahead this morning about how Hindu goddesses uh, can be represent representations of feminine psychology and spirituality, how they can show us a way to understand spiritual law operating in our lives and support us in living with divine purpose. To aid us in this conversation, our guest today is Dr. Rita Sharma. She is director of the Mira and A.J. Shingal Center for Dharma Studies at the Graduate Theological Union. She's also editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Dharma Studies and co-editor of Women and Goddesses in Hinduism, Reinterpretations and revisionings. Um, and so we're going to be discussing how 
um, the mythology of the Hindu goddesses can help us revitalize our own role in the world and um, and how they can support us, as I said, uh, when we're looking for a little help. As our roles are changing in society, um, what can these models um, teach us? How do these divine qualities support us in understanding our own dharma? So welcome, Dr. Sharma. I'm so um, delighted that you're joining us today on the Yoga Hour. My pleasure. And um, before we dive into letting the goddesses be our guide and uh, some of the richness that you have to share with us about that, let's just take a moment to meditate together. Oh. We all have a very powerful tool with us at all times, and that tool is intention. And we can use our intention at any time to help us expand our consciousness, help us expand our awareness. Let's do that in this moment. Let's simply intend to become more aware of our innate divine self and the peace that is within us at this moment, the wisdom that is within us, the compassion that is within us, divine qualities always waiting for our attention and awareness to move there and to invite the opening of those divine qualities in our hearts and in our minds. And so we begin by simply intending to acknowledge the reality of God surrounding us and indwelling us. One life, one power, one presence called by many names. And we live and move and have our being in that. And all of the divine qualities of that reality indwell us at the soul level of our being. And so let us intend to be open to that divine consciousness, that which we are. And we can simply use our breath now for a moment to help us become quiet, be aware of the breath, breathing in, breathing out, feel your breath, and hold in your consciousness that intention to be more fully aware of your divine self that is beyond mind, beyond circumstances, pure and still source of wisdom, compassion, clarity. And with each breath, feel that you are connecting more profoundly 
to the source of wisdom within you. Once again, I want to welcome Dr. Rita Sharma to the Yoga Hour and let you know that you can find out more about her and her work at GTU, the Graduate Theological Union, by um, visiting gtu.edu. And there's, um, if you want to look at her bio, look at under academics and then Rita-Sharma. S-H-E-R-M-A. Um, our, our program is airing live this morning, of course, in December of 2016. It's a very um, full time. It's a time of um, many holidays coming up. We're, we're approaching the, the new year. We also are in um, a lot of um, political turmoil in our country following the election. And um, there's let, just to put it... Um, Simply, there's a lot going on. And so I did have the image this morning, Dr. Sharma, as we were preparing to have this conversation of how wonderful to be like um, Durga Devi with, you know, extra arms, right? The goddesses are often portrayed as having um, many arms and many powers. And so I'm really looking forward to our conversation this morning about how um, those images can be deeply and profoundly meaningful, how we can draw from them uh, to learn more about our innate wisdom and have them support us uh, with dharmic living. So first, let's start um, with this topic of dharma. And I want to congratulate you for the profound, profound uh, step of the establishment of the Center for Dharma Studies at GTU in Berkeley, California. And that was um, once, as I understand it, a Christian seminary. And um, so this is a big step for pluralism. It's a big step for those of us who are uh, living um, with this wisdom of, of yoga and dharmic studies. So tell us how the Center for Dharma Studies um, began and uh, how you're a part of that. We'd love to know about that. Um, the, the Graduate Theological Union actually has a very interesting history. Um, it, is, it goes back to the 1960s and one of its first uh, member schools was um, an ecumenical Christian school. And they kept adding uh, member schools, and the foundation was ecumenical, um, Catholic, and various strands of Protestantism, and then uh, Eastern Orthodox Institute, and then the Buddhist um, in the, in Institute, very, very well-known Buddhist Institute, IBS Institute of Buddhist Studies came. Um, then they started an uh, endowed center for Jewish studies, and then an endowed center for Islamic studies 10 years ago, 
And they were hoping that somehow to connect, and they were trying to connect with the Hindu community. And <clears throat> in, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 2015, January of 2015, um, it, it was started with the Hindu Studies Initiative, and uh, it was started by a group of uh, people, it's not actually a group of people, uh, a gentleman by the name of Kalyan Vishwanathan, who was a disciple of Swami Dayananda Saraswati. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very famous name, both in Hindu Advaita Vedanta, but also in interreligious dialogue, um, and for creating what's known as the Acharya Sabha, the first um, organization of major um, lineages of the Hindu world and their leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was, this was uh, Pujya Swami Dayananda Saraswati was um, a maverick and a pioneer in reaching out to others, um, both ecumenically and interreligiously. And he suggested that the Hindu community consider a center um, at the Graduate Theological Union, um, which would make it the you know a center in the largest interreligious and interdisciplinary institution for the applied um, study of religion mm-hmm. in the Western Hemisphere, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the community thought, well, this is probably not even possible. <laughs> uh, but the the Graduate Theological Union had this history of interreligious outreach. It centers um, of, between traditions that have, you know, continuously been at war, um, collaborating towards peace and peaceful projects together. And uh, so we arrived, and in um, in the December of 2015. Um, a very wonderful couple, a philanthropic couple in the Bay Area, um, um, Mira and Ajay Shingo, um, endowed the center. And um, with the endowment, the center actually began. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the center welcomes, um, it, you know, it's interesting because most centers tend to provide support to departments, but um, the centers of the Graduate Theological Union are programmatic centers. So through them, the Graduate Theological Union, uh, GTU, offers master's uh, certificates, graduate certificates, master's, PhDs, as well as courses to community auditors. Mm-hmm. So we offer the graduate master's and PhD in Hindu studies in many concentrations, yoga studies, as well as, um, um, you know, we have courses and offerings and events Mm -hmm. in Jain studies. 
And I think that, of course, that the name, um, the, this Center for Dharma Studies, um, was a very intentional choice. Um, uh, rather than Center for Hindu Studies, we, it seems that with the Center for Dharma Studies, you have a much bigger umbrella. Um, so tell us about, you know, um, how this idea of Dharma Studies um, it, it is reflected in what goes on there. Well, Dharma Studies is actually now a field, an academic field, which brings together um, the three ancient religions um, that originated in um, in ancient India, which is uh, Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism. And so it it's really not South Asian studies because Buddhism is mostly outside South Asia and Hinduism and Jainism are worldwide. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, um, you know, I know that Hindus and some Jains don't like the ism attached to their um, to their dharmic traditions because the ism kind of uh, apply, implies that there's an ideology that is set in stone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it's not, you know, Christianity doesn't call itself, you know, Christism. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, it's interesting. Um, and, the, and the thing is that it's also not an indigenous way of looking at the world spirituality that developed in ancient India and continues till today. And what's interesting when you bring up uh, goddess or the idea of the Devi um, is that it uh, also has such ancient roots, like the word dharma. I mean, dharma has so many meanings that it it gives that multidimensionality to these faiths. I mean, when the Buddhists refer to themselves within themselves, They'll say Bodha Dharma, and right. the Jains will say Jain Dharma, Jaina Jaina Dharma, and the Hindus will talk to each other about Hindu Dharma. You know, we don't right. refer to ourselves as Hinduism and so on and so forth. So, you know, the between these traditions <clears throat> are, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I flooded my throat this morning. Uh-huh. Um, between these traditions are wonderful categories that are common in terms of both idea and practice, like the feminine divine. You see the celestial feminine across these three traditions. But Mm -hmm. in the Hindu tradition, it's developed in a very powerful way and in a very different way than most people think of when they think of the feminine. Tell tell us about that. What, What is this... Um, particular way that we see um, the the Devi and how it has developed um, uh, through uh, through this tradition. You know what what is the specific um, if we could if we could even call it that. But you know what are you pointing out in terms of how um, the divine feminine has. Um, Arisen, you know, from ancient roots to today. What is what is it that you're pointing to? That's a very good question. And the thing is that I want to take us back 
to the ancient roots because when people think of the Devi, um, uh, they think of Devis, and which is um, which is half right and half wrong. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that the Hindu world, as you well know, um, is really a bi-level a bi-level religion in the sense that. Everything is exoteric and esoteric. Everything is both um, outside practice and inner practice. And mm-hmm. that you can say that, well, that's true for all religions, but not in the same way. Usually religions will have a mystical side and a, you know, outer communal congregational side. So let's really look at the baby. You know, for example, the, the second biggest festival in the, in the world now celebrated across the globe is the Shara, the Ten Nights of, the, um, of what I say God the Mother um, in the fall. Mm-hmm. And this was, <clears throat> she was the, she wasn't just a, celestial feminine deity, she was God the mother to mm-hmm. uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, to mm-hmm. um, Vivekananda, to Aurobindo, to Ramakrishna Paramahansa. And, you know, the, the difference is, is profound um, between some uh, divine power being feminized and between the supreme reality being seen as God the Mother. Absolutely, and I'm so glad that you, you know, brought up, you know, how these um, great uh, yoga masters, the Vedantic uh, scholars and teachers and, you know, great gurus who came to America all had this profound relationship with the mother. Um, because for me, as a, as a Western woman, I wasn't raised in a particular religion, um, but certainly I was steeped in the culture that I was born in. And I, uh, when I came to um, discover Paramahansa Yogananda and I read his autobiography of Yogi, I would say the thing that affected me most profoundly was this um, introduction to the Devi, to the Divine Feminine. I felt like I had been all my life a child of divorce (laughs) and that my mother's name had never been spoken and I didn't know, you know, my own mother. And so um, this was a very beautiful experience of homecoming for me and one of the um, profound uh, insights that the Path of Kriya Yoga brought to me, and uh, I think one of the great contributions um, that we have seen of these masters is actually to help us awaken to the divine um, feminine, because it <clears throat> it shifts everything, doesn't it? You know, our relationship to the earth, our relationship to one another. You know, when God is no longer some uh, masculine deity separated um, from the rest of our life. Um, we're going to go for a break for just a few minutes now, and then um, we're going to get back and dive right into this um, topic of the Devi and what 
um, the Hindu goddesses can uh, tell us in our own life. And uh, you are listening to the Yoga Hour with a special guest today, Dr. Rita Sharma, uh, Director of the Mira and A.J. Shingal Center for Dharma Studies at the Graduate Theological Union. She's also Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Dharma Studies. And you can find out more about her at the GTU website. That's gtu.edu. And we'll be right back with you. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health? Help heal the planet and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Rita Sharma, uh, Director of the Mira and A.J. Shingal Center for Dharma Studies at Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. 
And uh, we've been talking about Dharma in a, in a general way and uh, how Dharma studies got started at Graduate Theological Union and then, you know, shifting our conversation um, to the Devi, the Divine Feminine, because Dr. Sharma has, uh, she's co-editor of Women, Woman and Goddess in Hinduism, Reinterpretations and Re-Envisioning. So she's a perfect person to um, be talking with this morning about how this um, understanding and insight of the Divine Feminine can profoundly um, support a greater, I would say, wisdom and compassion for us all about, you know, how we live our dharma, how we develop a, uh, a dharmic life, a, a spiritually awakened way of being in the world. So we want to look first at, um, with just a capital T and a capital D, the Devi, you know, this, um, divine reality as feminine. So, Dr. Schumer, tell us about that, the, the Devi. Tell us about her with a capital H. Um, capital D. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, the Devi with a capital D, I think you've uh, delineated that beautifully. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, it's translated in English as the great goddess. Maha Devi, you know, great goddess. But the term goddess is problematic to us because um, it implies something less than. In, in English, you know, it's, it exoticizes her and puts her in a kind of a different position than the Hindu world sees her. I want to take us back to 4,000 years ago, to the Rig Veda, Samhita, where the first inkling of such a being, uh, you know, omnipresent, fully eminent in the universe, in all things and all beings and within ourselves, is present in a fantastically beautiful hymn called the Devi Suktam. Mm-hmm. So D-E-V-I-S-U-K-T-A-M, Devi Suktam. And this hymn to the goddess is is sung or composed by um, Ambrani, who is actually the daughter of a rishi, a daughter of a sage, and herself a rishika, or a sage, and she composes this hymn to the goddess in a state of the fourth state of consciousness, rather, mm-hmm. an altered state of consciousness where she is in mystical union with with the great goddess, and she envisions her this way as the you know, the substratum of the universe, imminent in all things, and she's not speaking as I to thou, but she's speaking as I am thou. Mm-hmm. So she is speaking as the goddess in a in an altered state of consciousness where this woman sage is experiencing herself mm. as the divine feminine, and as the immanental cosmic power that creates everything and that is the source of everything. And uh, this particular hymn 
is been has been inserted into the let's say the Bible of the Daisy um, branch of Hinduism, which is the the Devi Mahatmya, glorification mm-hmm. of the goddess. <clears throat> Famous text that was beloved by um, Yogananda Paramahansa and all the great uh, sages. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it's from about the 5th or 4th century of the Common Era. And that, this Devi Suktam from the Rig Veda is in there. And it's sung, uh, sung all the time today. And of mm-hmm. course, it is um, sung during the um, the Shara, and so you have this co- continuous four thousand year tradition of seeing the supreme as feminine and as feminine, not in the way that we understand, like a um, just as a mother would nurture mm-hmm. a child, but it's also very powerful. Agenic, it is creative, it is destructive, it is sustaining, it is uh, dissolving, um, and it is in all things as consciousness. So here is the distinction because in the Hindu world, the idea of Purusha and Prakriti, and people who are interested in yoga uh, will have heard of the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. Right. And the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali is very clear. It uses this um, ancient philosophical <clears throat> dualism between consciousness, Purusha, and matter, Prakriti. Uh, yes, yeah. I'm so glad you're headed in this direction because that's the main question, isn't it? So please tell yeah. us, because we are, when we hear about Prakriti, of course, we hear that this is unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, ah, that this is it. That it is, this is a beautiful thing. Yes, so, so there's mm-hmm. power in this divine feminine in all of nature, and of course it is divine, but we have the distinction between Purush as conscious and Prakriti as um, power or energy, but that is um, not conscious. So tell us, <laughs> tell us more. Right, right, and this is, you're so right. And the thing is that this idea has it's, it's been intention in the Hindu world for like from nearly you know for millennia and it's very interesting because it comes from an ancient philosophy called Sankhya but the point is so you 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 laid it out Purusha's consciousness Prakriti is one's nature and matter and for us our body mind has as most of your listeners will know that you know in in the in this world, in the yogic world, the the body mind there's no body mind dichotomy. It's body mind versus consciousness. That's where kind of a either a you know kind of a dichotomy creeps in. Right, so, it's a way of talking idea, about it. That's what I say. Yeah. Well, I think that today for for yogis and yoginis today. It's just a way of talking about it. And ultimately what you're saying is that I am pure consciousness and the body-mind is what I will liberate because I cannot liberate consciousness. It's already liberated. Mm -hmm. But but if you look at the history of these two terms, you have a distinction between, as you said, unconscious, unalive matter 
and the animating conscious force, which is Purusha, you want to identify with that and not with nature, matter, etc., which is, of course, your body-mind. Right, and then this gives us the paradigm that puts women in a lower status, that puts the earth as an object. This is a big problem. I hope you will solve it for us this morning. (laughs) Well, well, I think I think that Daisy has solved it for us, and that. But it's, it's and it's this is the thing that in the Hindu world you don't have you know a, a singular monotheistic male god. You just don't. It's not there. It's all of its binary, dyadic binary. So the later tradition coming from this, you know. Um, the time of the early common era onwards, you have this uh, development of the concept of Shiva Shakti, mm-hmm. um, you know, Vishnu and uh, Lakshmi, uh, Rama, Sita, you know, Radha, Krishna. I mean, there's never just one. And it's usually the feminine that's placed before the masculine. It's very interesting because she is the power of that mm-hmm. consciousness. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the Mahadevi, she is she's particularly associated with Shiva, but she's also, through the Devi Mahatmya, through this amazing text, she is given both the status of the one with form, who we worship and love, and the ultimate formless um, unified divine. Mm-hmm. the cosmic consciousness that uh, Paramahansa Yogananda talked about. Um, mm-hmm. So that what happens when you bring it together in one deity, it goes. It even goes beyond the binary, that Shiva Shakti binary where they're part of each other, where it's no longer dichotomous but dyadic. You know, Shiva's part of Shakti, Shakti's part of Shiva, Purusha is part of Prakriti now, and Prakriti is part of Shiva. I'm um, right, sorry. Right. Prakriti is part of Purusha. Right. But, but in the Devi Mahatmya, it's more, it's more concentrated in the sense that the same being is both creator, creative process, and creation itself. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that creation uh, is fully conscious. Uh-huh. Because there's what, no separation in Devi. She she is it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, all, all of it, uh, the consciousness and power, um, are at one with um, the Devi, this primal um, power and consciousness and energy of our world. So we see that, and it's a beautiful um, teaching to lift up in in our world. Um, it, you know, it's it's time for it. It's a great gift that the Hindu uh, scriptures can bring because, as I said, you know, for me as a woman in the West, there I was living with that dichotomy. You know, that. Uh, 
somehow God was separate from me, and especially as a woman, um, I, I just didn't know how to bridge that gap. And so um, this is a beautiful place for us to begin to understand that God as divine feminine is not like um, like you have masculine deity and then you have um, divine mother as nature that is somehow less than um, the consciousness uh, represented by the divine masculine. So I hope I um, have stated that um, clearly, but that is my understanding that, you know, we can, we can see the Devi as um, the divine consciousness and power that um, informs, you know, all of life, uh, supports it, and actually is it. <laughs> so, um mm-hmm. That's a great, um, I mean, we can't, it's hard to even speak about, isn't it? You know, I'm talking to you this morning, I'm looking out into the garden, it's, it's raining and everything is so alive. And, uh, you know, that is, uh, Davy, but not as, um, a thing, <laughs> but as the great aliveness, the great consciousness, the great spirit of all that is. And then we see, you know, we, as you're talking about the, the Devi, um, the one life, the one consciousness, the one power that is everything. And then we have, you know, many images of the divine feminine, um, you know, such as uh, Durga Devi, um, and you mentioned Lakshmi, um, and of course we have Saraswati. So, how how do we put that together in the map? Well, um, again, the uh, text that I'm, I keep referring back to, the Devi Mahatmya, um, puts them together, uh, all for us, and basically says that all divine feminine powers arise from me, and all powers indeed arise from me. And this, and specifically, I mean, there are uh, hymns to her, but theology is in there, and it's in the form of, of hymns uh, mm-hmm. to her. And mm-hmm. these hymns contain epithets, and the epithets tell you the nature of the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that what she is is not the divine feminine or masculine, but containing both transcending and surpassing gender altogether including and transcending gender. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she's still experienced as mother because she's the source of all things. She's the one who gives birth. And the reason is that the reason it's mother and not father is because it's from her own being that she creates the universe. And this is very important for environmental work and ecological work, which I'm involved in, and ecological theology reimagining the world environmentally, not as something we have stewardship over, mm-hmm. um, but rather um, something we're, we're embedded in and it flows through us. So that what this means is that divine consciousness doesn't enter into things. The divine consciousness is pervasive through the very dust of the cosmos. The divine consciousness is pervasive through the earth, through the skies, through the waters, and through the rocks and soils. And that's why, you know, life arises in the most unbelievable places, like mm-hmm. the you know, bottom of the ocean, things like that, right. because the potential for life is in matter itself, because she is both the matter 
energy, space, time continuum, and the consciousness that envelops and flows through it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something early on. You mentioned this idea of, you know, the consciousness flowing through things. And why does, it, why does that matter? Uh, it matters because when we look at that concept, um, it's so deeply imminent. It is almost impossible, if you contemplate it, to set yourself apart from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a danger <laughs> to set ourselves apart. Um, it is. And, you know, that... And, you know, I think the Devi and the uh, goddess uh, studies um, not only can help us um, find our own, um, the truth of our own being, um, but it can help us find our right place, you know, in the earth and in the cosmos um, and teach us how to, um, how to, how to live a, a sacred life, you know, and this is really at the core of Dharma, I think, you know, uh, how to live a Dharmic life. And I think, uh, and you've given us some beautiful insights this morning into how, you know, um, the Devi holds um, the key uh, to that for us, to help us get over that paradigm of separation that even, you know, those of us who study yoga, we inherit it with yoga if we're not careful, you know, with the Purush Prakriti model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course, you know, I say, you know, you have to understand that this is just a way of talking about it. And, you know, this, um, the very philosophy itself says these two principles, um, Purush and Prakriti, are eternal principles. And so, there's they're always together because they are um they're eternal and they're omnipresent and so you know we can begin to think about um how this uh union um is manifest in in the devi and of course in our spiritual journey i think we come uh to a deep place of understanding that that this you know, like I say, it's hard to put it into words. You know, it's not um, it's not just a an image or a concept that we're talking about. It is a consciousness. It is power. It is it is life itself, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the Devi is not um, you know not a statue <laughs> and not a not an image, but you know she is uh, our very life. Yes, and it's very interesting you talked about a statue uh, or an image. But the Well, first of all, uh, you know this uh, better than most of us, and that is the, the major form or the foundational form of the divine is um, formless, but the main form of it is in terms of vibration and frequency. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that each divine power, Devata, Devi, Deva, has a auditory frequency, mantra, and a visual frequency, yantra. It's those interesting geometric shapes 
that so many people um, stick on their T-shirts. <laughs> uh, they're meant to be meditated upon as this specific frequency of this particular divine power. Mm. But yeah. we also have the images. The images are ubiquitous, and but they're they're considered the the not the subtle uh, pre- presentation of this divine, but rather a more you know uh, grounded. Um, gross physical representation. So the question is, uh, someone asked me, said, is it, is it disrespectful for me to, uh, you know, have this uh, statue of the baby in, you know, in, in my home on my uh, side table? It looks good there. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, uh, it's fine because it's not the baby unless you worship her. Mm-hmm. And you can, so... Unless you have brought life into her, um, accessed her through that statue, then that statue is not alive. Mm-hmm. It is not a source of channel. It doesn't become a channel for the divine presence. It's just mm-hmm. a statue. Mm-hmm. But it it comes to life, of course, with our own consciousness um, in terms of recognizing that which it represents um, to us. Um, We have a beautiful... um, uh, We don't have uh, statues uh, in our temple. Um, We have some symbols of the world's religions, and we have the eternal flame to represent, you know, Sanatana Dharma. But we also have a beautiful painting of um, Sri Yantra, you know, and... and so, you know, for us, that is uh, the Devi that is there. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, that Sri Yantra is right next to a living tree uh, <laughs> that is inside of our temple. And uh, so that's a beautiful uh, connection for me when I see those uh, together. Uh, we're getting close to our time to conclude our conversation, and uh, I want to give you a few minutes um, just to share with us how, uh, you know, I mean, you've already touched on so many um, very deep topics, you know, in, in terms of understanding uh, Davy as the very conscious uh, life and power uh, that is around us and within us, and how this can shift our uh, understanding of our relationship. Uh, with nature, uh, with ourselves, um, you know, with with God. However, you know, we conceive of God, but perhaps you can conclude with, um, you know, a way that you think it could be practical for us um, today. Uh, I started off the program talking about, you know, the challenges that we face in this season, uh, this time of year, uh, this political climate. You know, however, people. Uh, fall on that spectrum of where they are with it. There's there there is a time of lots of um, unrest, and so how can our understanding, our connection with uh, the Devi, help us at this time? I think yeah, it can help us a great deal. Um, one of the things that we haven't talked about is the. Um, the divine mother that is actually has been seen as God the mother by um, the great ones, by Paramahansa Yogananda, by Ramakrishna, 
by Vivekananda Aurobindo. This this was Shakti, this was Kali, this was Durga. And she's um in the Western text bill says she's a fierce goddess. Um we don't see her as fierce. We see her just as benevolent. And uh, we said, but she's curing a demon. <laughs> you know? yeah. And the thing is, what she's doing, she is telling you, this is very important that she is shown that way, because, because she is all in all. You know, Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, because God is everywhere, it feels like God is nowhere. Mm. And so because she is all in all, people can make the mistake of understanding that, well, there can be nothing that is wrong. Nothing that we can say is malevolent, wrong action, um, even adharmic, non-dharmic. It's, not, it's just not the right way to talk because, after all, she's all in all, right? She's in everything. Mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. And she's in you know, the criminal, and she's in the victim, and this creates a confusion in the minds of people, because Mm -hmm. in her theology, she may be all in all, but she is also very benevolently interested in the flourishing of her creation, and the flourishing of her creation, which she, uh, which embodies her, is sometimes off the trajectory of her divine intentionality. That is the divine intention towards flourishing, towards striving. And when that happens, it's harmful for the creation at a very small level like your life or someone else's life or the life of this tree, this this creature, or it can be major, like the life of this planet. And there she steps in. She Mm -hmm. steps in through us. She Mm -hmm. steps in to to those of us who see that allowing and helping uh, life to flourish is aligning ourselves with the teleology, with the intentionality of God the Mother. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And I think that's the key that we need. We're going to conclude in just a moment. And so I think I wanted to say that's the key that we need to understand that, um, that the deity, this power, um, that is life is, um, my Guruji often said there is a power for good, a benevolent power that runs this universe and we can learn to cooperate with it. And uh, so so we can see that uh, our urge to bring forth the light of wisdom, of compassion, of caring, of really of truth and justice, um, Devi is behind that. And um, we can call forth that power that is within us um, to meet the challenges that we have at any time. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Rita Sharma, for being uh, with us on the Yoga Hour today. I want to remind our listeners that um, you are director of the Mira and AJ Shingal Center for Dharma Studies um, at uh, Graduate Theological Union and uh, they can find out more about GTU and about you at the website gtu.org 
edu. Um, thank you all for joining us on Yoga Hour today. And I want to remind you, it's a uh, SEVA project, a service project, a Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. And you can find out more about uh, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour. Tell your friends about it. Um, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher. And thank you to our Yoga Hour team, um, to our producer and regular guest host, Dr. Laura Trujillo, and our assistant producers, Nita Kenyon and Anne Hayes, and also, of course, Jeff Comfort, who is ever in the sound room at uh, Unity Online Radio. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world, to share your peace and your joy with all of that you meet. Bye, everyone. Um, thank you again, uh, Dr. Sharma, for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, the Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. Haven't we all stood on the bank of a quiet pond and tossed a stone into the water? Haven't we seen the ripples move outward from the place where the stone entered the water until the whole surface of the pond danced with the movement of energy? Before long, we could no longer clearly see the point where the stone entered the water. My inner environment of thoughts and feelings behaves much like a pond. When I introduce a thought of peace into my mind and heart, that single thought creates a ripple effect that really does change the world. From its beginning point within me, peace ripples out to fill my inner world and continues to move out into the world around me. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, 
please visit our website at www.unity.org. Listening to World Spirituality with host Reverend Paul John Roach. To learn more about Reverend Paul John Roach, visit his website, pauljohnroach.com. Or if you have questions, email him at pauljohnroach at yahoo.com. We now return to World Spirituality. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 